Hi there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of livehealthy.ae, and this is the livehealthy.ae podcast. Each week, we will interview leaders in the UAE's health and wellness community, and we'll explore topics you read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women. And now it's time to meet this week's guest. Hello, my name is Asa Salem, and I handle multimedia at livehealthy.ae. I'll be your host for today's podcast, where I speak with a consultant psychiatrist and medical director, Dr. Ayanis Deripadas, from Thrive Wellbeing Center in Dubai. First of all, we just wrapped up November, a month focused on raising awareness for men's health, which is a topic often overlooked. In fact, according to Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, over 40% of men haven't been to a regular checkup and more than 57% said it only go if they felt seriously ill. So we feel it should be November all year long because men really don't go to the doctor enough for their physical health and definitely not for their mental health either. Dr. Ayanis, I'd love to get your perspective as a psychiatrist and as a medical professional on why this is the case. Thank you, Isam. Uh, my name is Dr. Ioannis Delipalas. I'm consultant psychiatrist and a medical director at Thrive Wellbeing Center. Uh, I have been a psychiatrist for over uh, 20 years and after my uh, basic medical studies. And what is the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? And actually, this is a, 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 very, a very frequent question that I get from a lot of individuals and clients and patients because actually uh, people uh, find it difficult or they don't know what is the difference. Well, first of all, both psychiatrists and psychologists are mental health professionals. But this distinguishment lies in the field that um, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor trained in the field of clinical psychiatrists. So what a psychiatrist is, a medical doctor that further trains himself in the biological aspects of psychiatric or mental health disorders. So uh, he is um, responsible for the diagnosis of mental health condition and of, of course providing the treatment for that. A psychologist approaches a mental health disorder mainly with psychotherapy, which is a form of therapy based on talk therapy. Identify the reasons what lies under and then help the individual understand himself, his actions, his feelings, and how he can overcome certain patterns. A psychiatrist, the main responsibility in the, the due practice is to diagnose a mental health condition try to approach what lies under, rule in or rule out physical conditions that may be complicated and uh, interfering with mental health conditions. Sometimes there is a cause, there is a physical condition and the outcome is a mental health condition. So a psychiatrist, what can do is try to sort it out. And of course, many times there, there, is, there are comorbidities and physical, physical condition can at the same time sustain with a mental health condition. And sometimes the one exacerbates the other. So that's what the psychiatrists do. Have also the, the biological factor and the medical conditions associated with mental health. 
And multiple studies and research shows that uh, when it comes to moderate and severe mental health conditions, the best outcome of individuals are the one that they receive both psychological treatment and psychiatric treatment. They have the best outcome in reaching admission, uh, uh, sorry, reaching remission, full remission being symptoms free. And also they are the ones that they can sustain the, the remission in the long term. So actually we work together, psychiatrists and psychologists. So it sounds like the psychologist can diagnose um, from a mental perspective. So for instance, telling someone they have bipolar, they're bipolar or they are, have some, an issue with anxiety, but they can't really know where it stems from. Yes, this is one approach. The main concern uh, is to, to, to meet the individual here and now, to see what lies under. So after my long collaboration with uh, psychologists, I've been working in, in Scandinavia for 15 years uh, in public health system. Uh, my daily clinical routine uh, involved a lot of psychiatric assessments, but also working as a team, psychiatrists and psychologists and other mental health professionals. So mainly the, the main focus from a psychological perspective is try to understand the situation of the individual here and now and how through therapy can alter the emotions and the actions and the feelings. And of course, bear in mind uh, is that some individuals, they do not need to see a psychiatrist. So they see only psychologists. So at some point, a clinical di diagnosis might be useful, not to measure for insurance purposes or in communicating with a psychiatrist or with communicating with the, 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 the individual family in order to with consent, leave some information. It sounds a lot like psychologists or, or seeing a clinical psychologist is often seen as the pre prerequisite to seeing a psychiatrist. What I mean is if I had issues with anxiety or, bi or bi if I felt bipolar, I wouldn't directly see a psychiatrist. I would go to a psychologist first. Well, it can be different from case to case. There are individuals and persons who would like to have a psychiatric consultation right away. Mm -hmm. They would like to know what, uh, what is the diagnosis that they, they, they have been struggling with. They need to have a treatment uh, option uh, that also consists of medical approach, medication. So they can start seeing a psychiatrist right away. And there is also another approach. There are individuals that they would like to meet with a psychologist first for some out of own beliefs, or they would like to start with talk therapy, or the, the severity of the symptoms is not as high that would somehow uh, express mindset than, than a functioning, a yes, a functioning impairment, and they would like to research more. So they can start having psychotherapy and psychological approach, but in the long run, they may need to have a psychiatric consultation in the way. And there are others that the, the, the time they see a psychiatrist, they also get a referral to psychologist and they combine the two approaches at the same time. I believe that depending also on the severity of the symptoms, this is the best approach. Because they do go hand in hand a lot. A, a better, I think a better question for, to ask could be, uh, when is it time to see a psychiatrist? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Isa. This is extremely important. 
And this is also a, a common thing. When is there the best time to see an, a doctor specialized in the field of mental health? Well, we individuals, we can experience a variety of different alterations in our mood. We can have anxiety, we can have sadness, we can have depression. Everything that comes to a point that alters our daily activities with a symptom that has not been there before. And that makes us having racing thoughts or overwhelming experiences or feeling low. And the most important, if all, this, all these symptoms may be combined with an impairment in our functioning, for example, an alteration in our productivity, this is the main thing that leads an individual to a psychiatrist. Doctor, I cannot get up from my, from my bed to go to work. Oh, my evaluation is in two weeks. I have not done well this month because I was feeling sad. So this is like an, an red flag and an alarm that goes on and tells us that it's time to have an assessment. And that's where it's a good point to, to have an assessment by a psychiatrist. After all, we don't, we shouldn't forget that mental health is not something divided from any other biological disorders. Depression has a lot of biological background. Anxiety has a lot of biological background and genes are involved. Bipolar disorder is a, a, a psychiatric disorder where genes are most affiliated. These conditions, they respond well to medication and to psychological approach as well. So when we feel that our mood has altered, anxiety is not at the same level like before, let me, let me introduce a term that you have you, you heard before, like a normal anxiety. We can be anxious from time to time. For some people, anxiety, slight anxiety, can be extremely productive. It keeps us alert. It keeps us vigilant to perform a task. But when anxiety goes beyond the normal traits and causes suffering, then it's time to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And you mentioned something interesting about assessment. It's time for an assessment. What does an assessment look like? Because I think a lot of people here don't visit a psychologist or a psychiatrist or even their physician because they don't know what the process looks like. So as a psychiatrist, what, is it, what, what does an assessment look like? What's included in that? Yes. And this is also a very important point because there is a lot of stigmas and taboos about psychiatry. I believe that the film industry is to be blamed about 50 or 60 years. They illustrated psychiatry like the very horrifying, terrifying places where darkness and uh, electroconvulsive therapies uh, took place. Well, a psychiatric appointment uh, does not differ from any other appointment with a medical doctor. So you meet your doctor and first of all, you're focusing on what are your concerns here and now. And of course, your doctor is going to ask questions about previous issues, about physical health conditions, about uh, any family history that may play a major role in the outcome of the mental health. Bear in mind is that a lot of, of mental health disorders, they have a familiar background. So they are inherited. So there are genes involved. So it's very important. And after all, after having a holistic approach about a medical history, mental health history, family history, the actual history here and now, the concern, what is the reason for, for visiting a psychiatrist? 
probably after acquiring and putting all the puzzle bits together, you will be provided with a diagnosis and also a proper treatment plan that may consist of medication or a referral to a psychologist if the severity of the symptoms are mild and if the impairment is not that much. Maybe it's not time for medication. Maybe it's time to have a psychotherapy or both. So that's what the psychiatric assessment can offer. I like that in the assessment, you mentioned that there's, you look into the physical. So how important is physical health and body in relation to a psychiatrist and mental health overall? How, is, how important is it for clients to, 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 see, to see their doctor regularly and make sure that their physical health is good? This is extremely important. Uh, is, uh, I will take you back about 2,500 uh, years ago where a Greek doctor in the antique Greece era, Hippocrates, he found the correlation between mind and body. They are integrated. So physical health affects mental health and vice versa. For example, there are a lot of conditions like gastrointestinal symptoms that can lead to anxiety or headaches that can lead to insomnia or other chronic autoimmune disorders that can lead to depression and vice versa. Depression can lead also to fatigue and can be expressed as a somatic manifestation. I cannot walk, I, don't, I feel tired constantly. This is a common symptom of depression or anxiety can lead to gastrointestinal symptoms with bloating, or with not being able to digest food or feeling constantly and stomach ache. So there is a lot of integration between the two conditions. But what is important is that if there is a, a, a physical condition, let's say diabetes or uh, mobility issues, it's very important that we have our regular checkups in order to have the physical health into perfect balance. And this is also a responsibility of a psychiatrist. There are a lot of people that they can come to my clinic, say, but doctor, I have been feeling depressed for almost two months now. I cannot bear my body. I, 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 I want to lie on couch all, all day. I, 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 I don't feel well. So my first question is, do you have any underlying medical condition? But I don't know. I have not taken any checkup for the last three or four years. It's very important because sometimes, for example, hypothyroidism, it can manifest as depression because of low thyroid hormones. And this is like a fake clinical picture. So we need to rule out any physical conditions that they may masquerade as mental health conditions. That's why it's extremely important to have the checkups, to have our, our uh, checkups with our GP. And of course, if there's any specific physical uh, medical condition to have a proper treatment for that. That's an excellent point. We have to take care of all, all kind of realms or facets of our health, physical, especially because it's hard to move on to a psychiatrist or a psychologist if you haven't checked on your physical health, because this manifests itself in, in, in mental. So it is very important to kind of use that as a prerequisite, you could say. So I was going to ask you about medication and when, when it's time to administer it, but I, I believe you answered that. And it's like you said, when it, you have the severity of, of like and loss of control over what's in the mind and what's in the body. But I want to know more about who medication is for. 
are there any issues with addiction? What's the process of kind of getting of kind of getting rid of that addiction? Yes, excellent point. Well, let's start with when when do the mental health disorders emerge? What is the onset? If we talk about the more common uh, conditions like anxiety and depression, the onset is about adolescence, 15, 16. And the most common onset is about the first, the early 20s. So we can say that's where the majority of mental health conditions can emerge. And of course, there are some specific subtypes of uh, schizophrenia or other psychotic uh, issues that they can have a little bit of a later onset. In psychiatry, we have an excellent pool of different medication used for different conditions. The most common prescribed globally are antidepressants. So let's focus on antidepressants. So there is absolutely uh, uh, no limit in where we should start medication with antidepressants, but a common approach and a common routine is that it is prescribed around the age of 16, 17, of course. In, on FDA, in the, in the Food and uh, Medicine Administration in the US, there are depressants that they are indicated and approved for use in the pediatric population, in children. But it, it's not very common. Uh, if we uh, specify the need for a medica medical treatment for depression, we need also to out outweigh the advantages and the disadvantages of it. When is it time? for a prescription for an, 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 an antidepressant. When it's time? Well, this also uh, is related to the severity of the symptoms. Also, the prolonged period of the clinical picture. For example, there are people that they experience a prolonged period of depressive illness. I'm talking about months, I'm talking like weeks and months with an, 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 a profound impairment in their functioning. And they may try other alternatives first. Homeopathetic products that are available in, in, in the region as well without any evidence-based background. They can also have talk therapy to identify the stressors and try to alter. But at some point, either the severity is high of the symptoms or the duration of the symptoms is high, has increased. Then it's time for medication. And this has to be assessed by a psychiatrist because psychiatrists only can provide prescription for medication because they are medicine, of course, because we have the, the training for that, and also to outweigh the advantages and disadvantages. Let's go to the second part of your question, Isa, because this is a major misconception. I get also this question a lot. Oh, doctor, I don't want to be on antidepressants, but why not? You are depressed. You are moderate to severe depressed. So I feel, I, I believe that you would feel better with medication. Yeah, but I, I do not want to be on medication because I will be addicted to it. I cannot be out of it. So this is a major misconception. Antidepressants, they cannot cause addiction. We're not getting dependent on antidepressants. They, we can get dependent if you'd like the term, although it's a wrong term to use, on the effect of the medication. This is a different thing. So what is happening, like a common course for the first depressive episode is usually up to six months. 
So if we are to follow the guidelines, so we can be on medication, the effect comes after three or four weeks. And then if we get remission, the guidelines tells us that we have to be on medication for five months more because the risk for relapse is high if we get out of medication earlier than we should. So what is happening in clinical practice? What we see in the everyday practice of when we run our clinics is that individuals that they get a good response ASA to medication and they feel like now I'm better. Um, and my doctor wants to see me in one month, but why should I see my psychiatrist now? I feel better. And they get off medication. Depending on the dosage of the medication. And if this is an abrupt discontinuation, it can lead to some extremely uh, unpleasant feelings that we call it discontinuation symptoms. For example, because of the uh, availability of these medications to some receptors in the brain, it's where they work. It's their action of the, 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 the course of action. If we discontinue abruptly, we may feel that something is wrong. We can be more anxious. We can have GI symptoms, which last about a day. This is not to be confused with any withdrawal symptoms that is caused by addictive medication. But antidepressants can cause discontinuation symptoms where an individual can discontinue abruptly without follow-up by the responsible physician. And then we have a second part, the third part of this question, which is extremely important. Uh, it's another misconception about, am I going to be able to stop this medication, doctor, or would I, it would be a lifelong treatment? And this depends from case to case. There are people with a crisis, with people with the first, first depressive episode, that they feel okay with medication. And after six months, they should be out of medication. But this should be also under the surveillance and the administration of the physician in order to, to taper. So things shouldn't be rushed. So let's say if we are on a moderate dosage of an antidepressant, we need to lower a little bit, see how the individual feels, then lower more, lower more, and then get out within a period of three to four weeks. This is the most successful schema in order to be out of medication with, with safety and without experiencing any discontinuation symptoms that they're extremely unpleasant. Yes, so this continuation uh, symptoms are, this is kind of cause for relapse, you could say, or to the medication? We, we can have both. The first symptoms, it's not, the, the first symptoms that we experience is not the relapse in, let's say, the depression or the anxiety. No, it is the directly biological consequence of removing antidepressant abruptly. So the receptors in the brain, they are not bound to the medication. They feel sensitive. They are hungry, if I'm allowed the term. So we can experience extreme anxiety. We can experience insomnia. We can experience restlessness. This is not to be confused with any relapse in depression. Relapse would happen later on. First week, second week, third week. These discontinuation symptoms happen right away. 
between 12 to 16 hours, depending on the type of the medication. And they don't last long. They last about one or two days, but they can be extremely unpleasant. When we have addictive substances, for example, there are some psychiatric medication that they can cause addiction. Tranquilizers, they are addictive, but there the addiction is happening due to a prolonged usage of the medication on high-end dosages, on frequent dosages every day, and probably without the proper follow-up from a psychiatrist. And people can be dependent. What is dependency? Dependency means that I cannot function without having the specific medication. Okay. The interesting thing is a lot of men here who have mental health issues do tend to uh, go towards substance abuse. And I was just wondering if it had any connection to medications or going off medications, they might choose to be dependent on a different substance, say alcohol, for instance. That's why I was, I was kind of wondering if there was any link there. Let me expand into that. This is a very, very important point, Isa. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I have to say one thing, that men were not very good in uh, being assessed by doctors or seeking for physical health or even worse, mental health. So there are a lot of studies that shows that for example, a research and study was conducted in the UK 2018, so that uh, one out of six women, they would need to go to a psychiatrist and they will do that. It is only one out of 10 men that they would seek psychiatric help. The majority of the drug addicts and alcohol addicts in the US, they are males. They're not females. So there lies a lot of social aspects into that. We, you can, we can also, we wonder why, why are men so bad into seeking mental health advice or assessing their problem? Well, first of all, let's discuss about this societal expectations. Males, they're expected to be the breadwinners, to be the dominants, to be the providers. So they feel like they, they do not have the luxury of being vulnerable. They associate mental health condition with vulnerability. And also it is the stereotypic uh, gender roles that it is more traditional. Women, we have to be consistent, solid, strong, resilient at all, at, at all times and dominant. For some males, uh, if they reveal their mental health concerns and issues, they're like losing the sense of authority over others. We can call that toxic masculinity as well. So males in general, and this has nothing to do with the region we live in, it has to do with a global phenomenon. Uh, WHO also pointed out that male population is really bad into addressing their concerns. So, uh, what we need to, 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 to do is to break down the stigma that it's okay not to feel okay. It is important to seek help when something mood alters, where anxiety hits the door, where we have mood swings. And also bear in mind that males have a little bit of a different manifestation in how the mental, a mental health condition can be expressed. For example, Depressed women tend to be sad, pull back, submissive. Depressive males can be arrogant. They can be more 
vigilant and aggravated. They can be angrier. They can be more violent. And when we scratch the surface, we see that there is a depressive disorder going on. So saying that, it's more common that male, males have also a very bad strategy when it comes in, in healthy coping mechanisms. They are bad in a, what is going on with me? But I don't have the time to see what's going on with me. I don't have the time to see Dr. Ioannis or any other doctor. So let's try to cope with anxiety with alcohol. And this is the worst that can happen because alcohol actually, it not only is not effective against mental health conditions, it can also put more oil in the fire. It can exacerbate the mental health condition. It can make it more prolonged. It can make it more severe. And of course, in other parts of the world, the non-admittance to psychiatric units or to outcare patient units concerning mental health issues also leads to drug abuse. So bear in mind that 68% of alcoholics globally, they're men and about uh, 74, if, I, if my memory serves me well, at the moment 74 of drug addicts are males. So there is a high comorbidity. Is this more of a trend you see in the in our region, issues with mental health? Uh, I mean, sorry, not being able to address mental health, adhering to this cultural script or toxic masculinity, you can call it, of men uh, shouldn't be, shouldn't go, men not being able to go to the doctor or shouldn't go to the doctor. Uh, do you feel it's more prominent here? Do you see, is that something you see with your clients? Certainly there can be some cultural aspects about mental health. Uh, in the region, but I feel that more and more, and I don't would like to make any distinguishment between uh, locals, of course, and experts. We can see even the pattern of no, 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 no. I don't have any issues to experts coming out of the West. So it is, it is more like a, a, a personal belief, or I would like a personal misbelief. But of course, cultural aspects play a prominent role into that. What is to be done is to be out more, is to gain more information and also so much more tolerability towards ourselves. For example, what I, I used to say to my clients is that, well, if you would have a migraine that would make you feel totally discomfortable and uh, making it difficult to, to, to go to your work every day. Would you go to a neurologist or your GP? And I, what I get from males is that certainly, because this is physical. Yes, but depression is also has a biological background. Why, don't you, why do you distinguish between the two of them? Why did you wait three years in order to come and visit me? Um, so we need to, to be out there and inform as today's topic are men, inform men more that it is, it is okay not to feel okay. And this has nothing to do with you. This has to do with the mental health condition. We need also to help people understand that there are two different uh, terms that shouldn't be uh, mixed being mental health and mentally resilient. There are people that their mental health, but they don't have resilience. They can crash down in the first adversity. And there are people with mental health conditions that they can be extremely resilient. They follow the medical advice. 
they, they, they adhere to psychological treatment and they are the people that they get better sooner and they can persist the, the, the good effect. So what is important is try to make the dealing, de-associate between having, for example, depression, meaning that you're vulnerable or weak as a person. This is not to be combined. And males, they have the tendency to believe that. I cannot go out and say my, my, my wife that I have depression, although she sees that I'm not well, because she will fear that I'm weak and I need to keep up my role. So I think a key word I like to take from there is tolerance, is tolerating ourselves and just knowing, as you said, it's okay to not feel okay. And uh, interesting, your colleague Mina, Mina Shafiq uh, mentioned something very interesting the other day when we spoke, is that if, you don't, if you're adhering to a cultural script or toxic masculinity and you're resistant to, to following up or checking on your health, is to remember that if you do want to continue being uh, there for your family or a breadwinner or any of these roles, it's important to look after yourself in these ways to, in order to succeed and continue living a good life, good life. Because as you said, these things can cause crashes and can have adverse effects on all parts of, of, our, of our life. Uh, is there any piece of advice you can give to people listening, or to, mostly to men, about visiting you or visiting any, any a doctor? <laughs> Most importantly, visiting someone, yeah. Be aware of your emotions and your feelings. Be, be more uh, uh, vigilant and aware of what is happening with you. Um, do not try to put things under the rug. Speak out, seek help. We live in the era of internet. In the region, we are um, pleased and happy to have many uh, well-being centers, many outcare psychiatric units, Thrive is one of them, uh, excellent government hospitals. So speak out, seek help. Uh, if you, you see an alter in your behavior, something that has not been there before, that alters your performance, that it, it interferes with your social interaction with your family members and your, your, your friends, if you see the tendency to isolate, if you have altered alcohol habits from not drinking to trying to soothe yourself with alcohol or to try to somehow, if you have altered eating habits, don't wait, be aware and address your symptoms. It's very common, you're not alone. That's what I would like to say to men. You're not alone. Psychi mental health disorders, they have a high prevalence between 20 to 40% based on estimations. WHO uh, makes an estimation that by 2050, depression will be as common as affecting the 50% of the global population. So this is extremely important, not to demonize, but be aware. Yes. That's excellent. Thank you, doctor. I mean, uh, I I'm, I'm focusing on normalizing it more and part of normalizing it and making it something w uh, which is accept acceptable and normal amongst us is having conversations like this. So thank you very much for your insight. Uh, one final question I just want to ask, where, where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Yes, I'm providing my psychiatric services at Thrive Wellbeing Center by Sarah Rasmi. So www.thrive.ae. So Great. people can find me there. Great, thank you very much, Doc. Thank you so much, it was a pleasure. Thank you, it's great having you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time.
on the livehealthy.ae podcast.